Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. We're back. <laughs> Zach's just nodding his head. We haven't recorded an episode in five weeks, six weeks. It's been a hot minute, yes. The last episode that we had that we just aired about a week ago, we had in our pocket and we're waiting to do the interview on. So we just decided to hold on that. Still haven't been able to do the interview. Hopefully still get to do the interview. But we're going to take a little bit longer here in our opening section of Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio to talk about what's been going on. Zach, what has been going on that has kept us away from something we love so much? There's been a lot. We've been going through a transition with the business for the escape rooms. Basically, we had some people leave, and then we are doing, we're currently in the start of a remodel slash rebranding situation, as well as we are trying to reorganize the company. So we've been kind of doing some interviews, getting people potential promotions, stuff like that. It's been kind of a crazy time for Jared. He's been doing a lot. And then same for me. We've just been trying to get everything set up so that we have things in place for the remodel slash rebranding, and then we can move forward. And one of those things that's very exciting about this, because I think always when you're looking at like a new podcast or a new project like we're doing, it's like, what's the longevity here? But we have been smart enough to lock up Zach into a full-time position. And part of that is this, is the podcast. Yes. So we had talked about that once upon a time with our Patreon is we don't know where this is going, but I feel like we have a foundation now to say like, we're going to keep doing this. And that's really exciting for me. Yeah. No, I've uh, worked for Mercer Escape Rooms for six years. So being able to get a full-time contract is pretty awesome. You deserve it, man. You deserve it. So Zach is going to be taking over a lot of the responsibilities within Puzzling Company. And you're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more from him along this journey, which is exciting as well, because he has a lot of good things to say. Thank you. Now, we today coming back are starting what we talked about at the end of the last episode, which is our month of triple threats and it's not going to play out traditionally as we imagined it where it's going to be in like a traditional calendar month but for our next four episodes we're going to be covering companies that have or have had because some things have changed a or will have actually a physical escape room a tabletop game and a purely digital game and today we're starting with some folks that are near and dear to our heart we are starting with society of curiosities with michelle and yasin and today we are covering simultaneously the first fairy tale file, which is Cinderella's murder. Yeah, no, the what Cinderella murders. The Cinderella murders. Thank yep. you. And the Glass House Ghost from their new Winchester series. So hang around with us. We'll be right back after this ad. Zach. Zach. What's up? Ever since we've gotten back from Boston, you've been spacey and some weird things with your voice have been going on. Okay. I go to get some donkeys and I bang a Yui and you're acting all weird now with me. That's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you have like this Southern Bostonian accent and I don't think that you're aware that you're doing it. I've always talked like this. No, no, you haven't. And okay, let's, let's try something. I'm going to remind you of something that you did before Boston, like ask you a little trivia. Do you remember what the first murder mystery game on the podcast that we did? I remember some game that we did that was about Harvard. Was it about that? 
No. Okay. You remember anything else? Do you know what state that the murder happened? Yeah, it in? happened in Florida. Oh, are you talking about like the lovely city murder that happened? Yes. Like the killing affairs. That's game? what I'm talking about. But now you're not. Now you're talking normal. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, okay. Uh, tell me what you liked about the killing affair. Oh, it's a really great game. It's like a murder mystery. It's episodic. You have to kind of figure out what happened on that day. It's a cold case as well. Um, but over, I think five or six episodes, you get to complete it. Really fun game. And I know that at a killing they have other games as well. And I think they currently have a jigsaw one that they just created. So really excited to see that. So you remember all of that. But if I told you maybe that the next game that we were going to play was about the New York Yankees, you would say, Oh, screw the Yankees. Go Sox. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here, we're here to talk about the games that we played. We're talking about two today, so we're going to keep it a little shorter than we usually do. Only a couple of loves, a couple of room for improvements on each game. And I'm excited to talk about both these games because I enjoyed both of them. Yep. Zach, overall thoughts on these games and what you liked. Ooh, okay. Well, I did really like both games. So, reminder, we played the Fairytale Files, the Cinderella Murders, as well as we played the Glasshouse Ghost. They were both really fun. I, I really liked a lot of things about both of them. I think I'm going to go into the Fairytale Files first. Well, tell us a little bit about each. What should we expect from each? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, the Fairytale Files is, in the Cinderella Murders, is specifically kind of like a murder mystery mixed with like an escape room style puzzle game where you are trying to figure out what happened uh, at the night of this ball that happens during the Cinderella storyline. And the other one with the Glasshouse Ghost is a fully digital online game where you are at the Winchester Mystery House trying to solve this kind of mysterious, these mysterious occurrences that keep happening with the radio and this uh, potential ghost. Yes, and so that makes Fairy Tale Files our tabletop entry. Yes. And Glasshouse Ghost our purely digital entry. Yes. Great. Cool. And the Fairy Tale Files has a digital element. Yes. A very important digital element to the experience. Very cool. Well, let's get us started here in Cinderella Murders. I think we both picked up on this because when we were both saying what we liked about the game, we were both like that. Yes. And that is the kind of grim style yet humorous approach to the narrative. Yeah. So in the Fairy Tale Files, it's pretty hilarious. It does cover a murder mystery. So there is murder, but what I really enjoyed about it is throughout the experience, they're kind of just homages to other fairy tales, but also in terms of the humor. So it's like, oh, well, this happened, but, you know, the mouse is involved in this certain way, or there are locations that are kind of meant to be more uh, serious yes, or involve more adult-like things is kind of jokingly the way to put it, but they kind of put it into this fairy tale world. So it's like, Oh, you're going to this bar, or this place that's not the greatest place in town, but it's it's a tree with yes. a bunch of other fairies in it. Fair. Or, you know, how someone has been using potions to do very specific mischievous things. I'm going to put it at this intersection. You tell me if you agree with it or not. This is a strange one. Okay. I think it's at the intersection of Shrek and Stranger Things. Agree or disagree? I feel like that's a very big... I understand where you're going. It almost... Do you remember... Did you ever see the movie Hoodwinked? No. Okay, that's actually a very... That's actually, okay, well, I'll have you watch Hoodwinked. It's not animated? Good. Yes. Okay. Uh, but if you've ever seen Hoodwinked out there, which I hope people have because it's going to be hilarious <laughs> if no one has, but Hoodwinked is literally the perfect example of this. It's an animated movie where basically it involves like Red Riding Hood and stuff, but someone get the Red Riding Hood's 
grandma gets killed. But is the tone as kind of dark as it is? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, it, but it's about murders and stuff. So they're trying to figure out like who had the like most, and they interview people that are in the fairy tale world. So like the werewolf. Uh, okay. So it's kind of funny. It has the same kind of humor in my opinion. So it's a little bit darker, but like it's hilarious because you're, you're acting as if it's like a real murder mystery, but in the fairy tale world and you're questioning all these. I love that. Mythical I, need, creatures. I do need to go see hoodwinked, but they played it so well. Yes. They played that tone so well it carries throughout everything whether it is the chatbot system that you are using or the places that you are visiting or even the tangible items that you have because the other truth about this is you only get an envelope full of things but they're so good at making that go so far yeah and they had a really unique system for that which i want to talk a little bit about in the format which is our second like i loved how they formatted the murder mystery style of this. Cause this is at the perfect intersection of what you and I are always playing. Feels like for us, it's either escape roomy or murder mystery. This felt like a wonderful fusion of both. Yeah. I mean, the murder mystery was done really well going into it being like, Oh, this is probably more murder mystery than it's going to actually be like puzzly. Yes. And it ended up being pretty puzzly at points in the game. Now it still ends up being a game of like, you have to use your reasoning to figure out who did it at the yes. end of the game and why. But it felt really good because I, I enjoyed like the mix of being like, okay, well, we're gathering information and we're actively discussing it out loud and then going like, ooh, here's a puzzle. And then we get to sit for a minute and do like a, a fun puzzle between each other and then go like, okay, now we're back to gathering more information. Yes. And then we get to do it again and again and again. It feels like my preferred way of how I handle this. And I think it honestly shows the strength of why puzzling is so important to games. Because when we play a lot of other murder mystery games, it feels like the narrative and the deductive reasoning is really strong, but those in-between gaps of how we're gathering the information we need feels weaker. That mm -hmm. did not feel like the case to me in yeah. the fairy tale files. It felt like the gathering of the in-between information through the puzzling was really strong. And that makes sense because that's the background that our creators come from. Yeah. Right. So I enjoyed this greatly. It's a company I already enjoy it is interesting to take the see them take a leap into a different genre, but then bring their sensibilities into that genre to make a fuller experience. I fully, fully enjoyed that. And it's exactly what you said. On the whole, your goal isn't, you know, quote unquote, escape the room. It's identify the murderer. Yes. And that's what made this so fun is everything's still fed into the macro of the game of you're going to be solving little puzzles here and there. But at the end of the day, you got a one shot to take out whoever is guilty in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And you've got some intriguing uh, suspects in this oh, game. Yes. Some uh, usual characters, we'll say, but just overall, this was very, very enjoyable. It was. Where were any of the room for improvements that we felt? So the only real room for improvement that we felt at some points in the experience, and specifically one more than the other, was the map traveling. So a big element in the game using the digital aspect is that you travel across the map in this fairytale world to go to different locations to interview suspects or gather information. Yep. Non-linearly. Yes. Yeah. So um, a little bit of gating in there. Correct. They do gate you a little bit to try to get you to do certain things first. However, you kind of at first can mess with a lot of things. However, it's going to kind of point you. That's one of the things we, we noticed pretty quickly is that, and it was good. It was done well that way in terms of like we were gated and it goes like, ah, uh, you don't have any information why you'd go here and then you go here and here and then you go like 
we finally found the right place and we went, oh, we've had that piece of info telling us to go here the entire time. Yes. But the the map traveling specifically, what we had a our room for improvement for it is we felt like two locations more than others were not used really to any big point. One specifically was never used other than just to point you away from it. Basically yes. being like, oh, you should go somewhere else. And then the other one was used at one point for a minor detail to help you go somewhere else. But it felt like two locations weren't just explored as much as the others, which was really fun about the other locations is you had more things to do in them and kind of interact with or have a puzzle there. And the other two were more like, oh, you have an idea that there's something here. Go this place. And then the other one goes, uh, you shouldn't go here. You should go back, you know. And maybe we missed something. Yes, absolutely. We could have definitely missed something. Because we knew we got gated by one of them. And then when we went there, it gave us the hint about going somewhere else. So it felt like it got a little bit more use. But then the one at the bottom of the map, to kind of if people have played it, felt like it was only used as a deterrent to go away from that place. Absolutely. And and felt teased because it's exactly what you said. Everything else was so good. I wanted more. Yeah. Kind of like what we experienced in our last episode where we were talking about the different zones Mm -hmm. Um, and we were here forever is one zone was so good that it kind of made the other, we wish that the other ones could live up to that. And for the majority of this 90% of this game, all of the zones were so good that we were like, Oh, I wonder what's going to happen when we go to that place at the bottom of the map or this place next to that. I just wanted a meaningful interaction at those places. Yeah. I think what have been, and maybe we missed this. Like I said, very clearly want to say like, we could be wrong. Yes. I think it would be, even funnier is if like if it isn't used as a pure puzzle purpose which i believe the one at the bottom map isn't it's just to point you away from it is if there was easter eggs in it yes to make it like even if you go there you go like oh that's kind of funny yes then go like then go away and we like said we might have missed that but it, it felt like it was only meant to be like this is another cool part of the map but however it's not related to the the current case so you don't need to go here. And that's the other part that I keep forgetting. I believe that there are other fairy tale files, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Yes, absolutely. So maybe that, that does come into point at some other game if they overlap by any chance. But yeah, that's for now, interesting. For, for now, now, it's not used. For now, we don't know. Absolutely. Let's transition over to Glass House Ghost mm-hmm. because this is their most recent of the two things that we played. This is really interesting because I had the opportunity to talk to Michelle a little bit about it. And she was telling me all about how the IP for the Winchester house, which is where this game is based, opened up and they were fortunate enough to get to do that. Zach, how much do you know about the Winchester house? I've read a little bit about it, but, and I've seen some videos talking about it a little bit, but I don't know it super well. It's this old house in Southern California. Again, this is not going to be the in-depth version owned by this lady. And this just this really weird, paranormal, intriguing, mysterious past so what they're doing in these games, and I hope there's more than just Glasshouse Ghost, they are pulling from the actual narratives that have happened there from the lore and then adjusting it to make a game. Pretty standard procedure. But it's this house full of just really weird, wacky rooms and stories. Yeah, that's what I mostly know about it is that when I've seen pictures of the house, there's just like really crazy designs for rooms. And like clearly the outside of the house just looks nuts because it's just like, these pre-built places, and then you can clearly see where they built new rooms, but they're higher and lower than other rooms or like different colors. It's very intriguing, like to just look at all of it and figure out what's like fully going on in there. It is. And I think that's actually where I want to start with what we liked about the game is this is a real place. Yep. And I actually remember learning things in the game. I'm not going to spoil anything 
that have historical context Mm -hmm. that I didn't know a whole lot about that I learned about. And I just appreciated that the game designers were really open to say like, this is what was true. And this wasn't, and this is what we made up. Yeah. And it makes me want to go. If I'm ever down, I think it's around the San Diego area. I believe so. I want to go visit this place. It'd be cool because now I have this context from the game and I'm like, Oh, I want to go see that for sure. Like I remember that. I just think that's, Super, super neat. That's kind of extra game. What about the actual game did you really enjoy? I really enjoyed the game UI that's used in this game. So to kind of give an example, you are involved using a, it's fully digital, but you have a text system that you have to deal with to help contact another fellow person helping you throughout the Winchester murder or yes. Winchester mystery Do you mean house. text on your phone or like text in the actual UI? Text in the actual UI. Okay. Uh, you don't use your actual phone, but there's like a, a cell phone in the actual game UI online as well as a radio. You have to use the radio to try to communicate to ghosts. I'm going to spoil that for you. I don't think that's a big surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as well as you use the phone to communicate with basically the online UI slash the the helper, quote unquote, to help you solve puzzles. It is really cool because when you interact with the texting system, you get audio elements from the actor, or the, the voice of the other character you're interacting with throughout the experience, who's kind of giving you live updates or what he hears. You have that, you have the radio, which you get to hear really cool audio that's based around the time period that it's trying to play around and you trying to articulate what's going on with the audio and trying yes. to make add up what tr- the ghost is trying to communicate with you. But the other big, really important part that I really liked is that the actual UI updates with everything you do. It's cool. It's so really cool. as an example, you could text on the little on the cell phone. And if you look on the actual screen in the bottom left, there's a cell phone on the table. It updates with your messages. When you want to change the radio because you have to message it to the other person to change the radio for you, when you text it, the radio literally changes in front of you on the screen and goes to that number. It's a really cool piece of technology to see all that stuff update in real time when you're doing all that stuff. Because we're like, oh, it's probably just there. It's like a, it's not going to change, but it's just going to sit there for us right. the entire time. It all changed. Like, what are you doing? It's very dynamic. And I think that's something that you and I haven't discussed that I'm just thinking of the first time is... I'm actually pretty impressed with how enjoyable this game was for its lack of visual exploratory. Like that was the screen we were looking at it the entire time. Yeah. Right. And it offered pretty dynamic gameplay with not a whole lot changing. The things that did change were pretty cool and thoughtful, but they delivered a great game on a pretty static looking screen. Yeah. I think that's pretty impressive. It is really impressive. Yeah, but I'm totally with you on the game UI. Just the little the little things made such a difference, and I agree. Societies of Curiosities are masters of the, the chat bot, the text, the online, like bringing these characters that, you're, that are helping you through the game to life. Mm. I've never played a game where I haven't felt like I've questioned reality a little bit, even though I know you know, I'm willing to, because it's so good, suspend my belief and my cynicism to like just enjoy it and it works every time. It's so good. Room for improvement in this game is we've never had this happen in any other game, but we had one sticky puzzle where we were trying to communicate something with the AI yes, and just could not find the right words to try to get it to do what we wanted to do. Yeah, we did eventually get it. So yes. we did eventually find the right wording to do it. But we got stuck for a very long time because we we had the right answer, but we didn't know how to word the like the input 
because it, it explained to us at the beginning of the game how it would work. Like if you were close to the right wording or use the right words, it could help kind of solve it for you. You know, because it's difficult to just type out like how what you're thinking yeah. at times. But we we got it right and we tried putting it in a few times and it basically was like, okay, now we want you to do this. And we're like, well, how do I like explain this to you what the next step of this is? And then we tried doing it a few ways and it kept like airing out or it'd give us like the, it showed us the thing it told us, which is like a few like asterisks if we, if, right. it, if it didn't understand us. If it us didn't fully. understand us, yeah. And then eventually after like doing that for another few minutes, it finally worked when we found the way to like explain what we wanted. But it felt a little frustrating being like, we have the answer. And then when we finally worded it right in terms of how the computer wanted us to do it, we were like, okay. Well, at least we got it because we were in the moment getting frustrated being like, I know this is the right answer. There's no other way this isn't. And then when they told us we were right, we're like, okay, we're at least right. But how do we explain this? And like I said, we've we've played a lot of their games and the system that they built is very robust. And But that was the first time we encountered that. It makes you realize like that's an immersion breaker a little bit. Um, but it, what's also cool about this and cool about a lot of the games that we play today across all platforms is that's easily adjustable. Oh yeah. Like that's a system that's constantly learning that they're tweaking. I know the owners are super intentional about looking at a lot of games and seeing how they can tweak the programming. So I don't think that will be the case for everybody, but I think it is an inherent risk of these games is to say like, you know, in the programming, we're trying to guess every single way that, and people can handle this Yeah, and you're not always going to catch it. You know, and we were the way that we were probably doing it might have been a little bit of us, a little bit of the system. I was going to say, there was definitely probably a bit of us. Yes. But it it is just something that it felt like, okay, that could that could be tweaked a little bit to make it better. Yeah. But I want to bring it now to close here in our first section, talking about all of their games. And because I do something we kind of didn't touch on is kind of the tangibility of fairy tale files. And while that was important, but I was going to save that to here to talk about. We have now played two Society of Curiosity games, Maddox and Posey Ring, play the first fairy tale file. We have played The Bewitched Circus, one of their purely digital games, and now we've played The Glasshouse Ghost. What is your ranking for all of those? And do you see any trends pull out because of that? Okay, I'll tell you my ranking first. It's Maddox, then Posey, then fairy tale files. Cinderella's. Yes, the Cinderella's. Cinderella murders. Then it goes Glasshouse, Ghost, and then I would say Bullet Circus is my lowest. I'm in the same boat. Posey and Cinderella are like super close, though. Yeah. Like Maddox is the standout for Maddox me. Maddox is my favorite by far. Uh, but what that says to me looking at all of that is we prefer their mixed media versus their just digital. Is that true? Yes. I feel like their digital stuff is good and it's fun. It's just, I feel like it's missing something. And every time we play like one of their mixed ones, that's what's missing. Mm -hmm. That extra bit of things that we get to interact with that's really well done creatively. Like it looks awesome. It's made of good material or like the texting system was really fun. And I feel like since when we play the digital one, it's missing those extra elements to like complement the online part. I will say though that I do think that Glasshouse Ghost is a big step up from Bewitched. Yes. And I can see some thoughtful changes that they've made to make this a digital experience that's very different from Bewitched. So I do enjoy that a lot. But I agree with you. I don't know if it's personal preference or if it's just universally accepted, but they have nailed the concept of fusing their digital with again, even something as I think we had like 10 items to interact with in fairy tale files. Yep. 
they were so well done. They made the game pop. They brought something extra to it. Yeah. Even just, I'm thinking in fairy tale files of the, the, what was found at the crime scene, yes. that little thing that they had. I can't wait to put that on the wall Yeah. It's because funny. so creative. So it, it just makes the game feel more real and warm yep. in a way. I'm hundred percent with you. I will pick up any game by society of curiosities that is mixed. Oh, agree. I can't wait. And in the next section, we'll talk a little bit about their other project that they have going on, which is their, I don't know if I would call it escape room. It's kind of an Airbnb bread and breakfast escape room fusion. Yes. And we'll get to talk to them about that also um, when we get to catch up with both of them. But that's going to wrap us up here in our first section. We have puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation. And by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape dash the dash crate.com and use code puzzling co puzzling co all one word and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have well welcome back to puzzling company we are here in this section of the show that is puzzles to the people in this section depending on the day that we decide to record jared brings two things at me it's usually one we cover things topics that go around the game that we covered on the show you know, kind of discuss it back and forth, have just a good time discussing uh, something that's related to the game. Or Jared blows my mind by just having random questions to ask me that I'm not prepared for. <laughs> or we cover, you know, like reviews, stuff like that Absolutely. about the game that we covered. Today, I'm posing to you kind of a big picture question. And right. I think it is something that we will continually review over the next couple of episodes as we're talking about triple threats. Yes. It's material that we have talked a little about in past episodes, but what I am thinking about in all of this, and I'm interested for your input is when you think about companies that are doing all of these things collectively, right? Mm -hmm. Having some type of on location entertainment, having some type of tabletop game, and then having some type of digital game. I feel like what we have had over the past year and a half is kind of a masterclass in what makes and what belongs in each of these categories. Yes. And oftentimes what I'm learning from the many wondrous teachers that we have had as guests on this show is each and every one of them is teaching me a number of different things on a number of different levels. But for this episode, I want to discuss what do you think best belongs in each one of these categories? Oh, okay. Because... I feel it personally as an escape room designer to say I have been putting things for years in escape rooms that are probably better suited for either digital or tabletop experiences. Okay. And my escape room designing will get better because now I know what better belongs. Not to say that you can't or shouldn't, right? There's a lot of subjectivity sure. to game design. But for me personally, I know, hey, here's a couple of things that I will never do again. Yeah. And I want to know, because you've helped design our most recent game, Passed yeah. Away, that we have coming out in a couple months at Murfreesboro Escape Rooms, 
I'm wondering if you're processing those same things. So I want to open up that conversation, think back through old games, some of the teachers that we have had and say, Zach, what have you learned? And we can sectionalize this if you, if you want to, if that would be beneficial. Cause I know you're a little, I'm more of a scattered human being can have this conversation in circles. Maybe we frame it for you. Yeah. My big thing that I immediately thought of was logical style puzzling. Yes. That are used in escape rooms. I have a story for you about this. Okay. Let's hear it. But I want you to explain your point a little bit first before oh. I go, before I go diving in. So I think it depends on the game. I think logic style puzzles can work in very specific circumstances. However, one of the things that I've learned through playing these style of games and then playing some escape rooms that have them is when you play a game and it goes, and I feel like most escape rooms should be more physical style puzzling because what I think is really good about it is that you are stuck in this space that's supposed to be immersive and you can interact with things and be able to touch and manipulate them to mm. help you solve puzzles. When you give a puzzle that basically goes, okay, I want you to stare at this piece of paper. Yes. And I want you to go, and I quote, Logic puzzle, uh, Timmy works Tuesdays at the bank. Johnny works at the bank on Thursdays. Jimmy can't work this day. You know, like, and you sit there and you go, okay, you're, you're saying I have to stare at this like screen or piece of paper and go like, okay, I have to math out who could do this. Okay. And then, I, I want to push back a little bit on you because cool. I think that can have a place. I think more so in tabletop or yes. non-timer. Yes. Tabletop or digital. Agreed. Again, not our favorite style of puzzle. Yeah, I was saying specifically in escape rooms. Yes. In purely escape yes. room style games is the most unfortunate thing to get. I'm not going to talk about the specific game that we played, but as you could tell from my example, there's a game I specifically think of that it is a bank style game where it just stops all motion and it goes... <laughs> solve a logic puzzle. Solve a logic puzzle about who would work at the bank this day. And I'm like, okay... There's this really cool bank that I can interact with, but I'm locked out because I have to sit here and do logic puzzle. Yes. And stare at a screen that everyone has to stare at for the next five minutes and get it. Okay, I'm about to blow your mind okay, with my it. story. A couple weeks ago was in LA. Yes. Had the finally the time to actually like play some games out there. Yes. Got to play at this amazing place called the Ministry of Peculiarities. Yes. I did a logic puzzle. In that game, the most immersive, that style of logic-based puzzle, but they did two things so well that they masked it by, it was halfway through before I knew what I was doing. I was okay. like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the very thing that I think shouldn't exist in escape rooms, and I'm loving it. It was the most creative thing. I'm trying not to spoil the puzzle too much, but it involved hanging photos with characters, Yep. and then the game's logic through some really cool technology once you would input your answer and it would say really creative. I don't want to ruin how nope. And then it would eject your incorrect responses and you would have had to listen to the narrative of the characters that were in the frames. And then you had to figure it all out. That's kind of cool. And it was so well done. But I, I remember thinking vividly afterwards, Oh my gosh, like they pulled off the very thing that I don't like doing because they had a limited number of inputs Yep, and they pulled it off. But yes, what you were talking, I, I was just super impressed by that and had to give them a shout out. But by and large, yes, I think those style, because usually they're heavily processed, there's usually a grid of 10 verticals, 10 horizontals, yep. and you're running all over the room to gather the information and it's chaos. 
Yes. But I do think that has a lot of space in tabletop digital. Oh, I believe it fits perfectly in those places. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a lot of games we've played where that is literally the process that you do in a lot of the at-home puzzle games we've played throughout the last, what, year and a half? Almost yes. two years now? It, if, it has places. I just feel like, specifically, that's like the big escape room one that always gets me, like, it grinds my gears, as they say. Yes. I, I'm, I'll lean even heavily or more heavily than you and say, I don't think any type of paper-based puzzle has a place. Like if you're working out something on a little piece of paper, I'm kind of off that right now. Oh, in any version? I mean, in a majority of escape room scenarios. Oh, in escape rooms. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. If you have something on a blank piece of paper, basically, basically a white piece of paper, I'm right. But even if you're asking me to do like a word search, yeah. Or a crossword puzzle. And these are the things we talk. Uh, so do, there are ways that you can take elements of those and turn those into really approachable escape room puzzles, in my opinion. Yeah. But the notion of the majority of the puzzling is going to happen on scraps of paper. Yes. Throughout the game. That's a no-no for me right now. Or in, agreed. Any type of laminated piece of any type of paper. That's mm. a no-no. This might be a hot take. I feel like you might bounce against me on this. But one of the things that I, I don't know if I would say it doesn't belong in at-home puzzle experiences is really big interactive buildings. I'm going to clarify what I mean by this. Okay, please, because I'm so confused right now. It's hard because I don't want to specifically be like, this game is what I'm thinking of and it's problem. But like, okay, if it's like, I'm going to say as an example of that, does it well. Okay, Escape the Room, the Cursed Dollhouse. Does it really well. Makes a set. You can interact with it. Plays like that. But we played a, a certain unlock where it has an element in the game where you have to build something using uh, elements that you had throughout the experience yes. or things that naturally come with the game. And it's not made, it's not like pre-made to make it work effectively. Yeah. It's basically on you to connect what you're trying to do with it. And I feel like building puzzles like that where it's kind of on the cre- on the person to build it and it's not like it doesn't tell you how to build it in advance can lead to frustrations. Absolutely. And you know which game I'm probably talking about yes. by this point. But that's one of those weird things that I feel like if the game wants to make you build something, it should have a way to help you build it. So as an example, like we've played some print and plays where they do that perfectly, where it goes like, this is what you're going to basically do with it. And it's not going to make sense in the moment, but once you build it, it adds up exactly what you want it to do. Yes. And it's... And they help you kind of guide, they guide you to how the game is supposed to set up so you're immersed as much as possible with being at home. Yes. And I feel like Unlock, with the game I'm specifically talking about, fails on that front because it basically goes, here's some items that we know what it's supposed to kind of do. Now you're on a clock, do this. And you go like, okay, and then you build it and you still don't fully get it. Or it's not perfect because it's made for you to masterly do it and it's not presented how you're supposed to do it, I guess. Yes. The other thing that I am thinking about is tangibility. Yes. We talk a lot about this. I'm not saying tangibility belongs in, I'm specifically speaking tabletop. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of tangibility in digital games. Correct. But I'm thinking between escape rooms and tabletop games. I think tangibility should be a part of both. I'm talking about scale of -hmm. tangibility. Yeah. I think so often... And again, I'm speaking out of my own experience and, and what I'm trying to improve upon. The scale of tangibility in the games that I have been made has been that more akin to tabletop than it should be for an escape room. 
I think tangibility in escape rooms should be big. It should be very big. It, it should be heavy. Yep. To an extent, it should feel real. And I think I've done a lot of really cool interactables in escape rooms, but they've been smaller. Yes. And part of that is if you ever come play Murfreesboro escape rooms, our games are not that big. No. You know, most of them are 200 to 500 square feet. Like they're not big games. We focus on smaller groups. Mostly that's where we are in the market. Also our building. Also our building. Absolutely. Bigger. Absolutely. But I'm thinking back to when we owned live minds. Yes. Over in Franklin Mm -hmm. and you would get into the temple and there was this giant mind calendar that you had to put together versus in the white room. Hey, here's a little 10 by 10 little jigsaw puzzle. I have been pushed by so many of these great creators because they have done more in their box than I feel like I have done in the escape rooms. Mm. And it's a challenge to me to say like, you've got to think bigger, not in terms of, you know, we're not talking existentially here. Yeah. Like physically give them bigger things to touch to do. And I, I can think of a lot of things in escape rooms that I've enjoyed that, Oh, that was a really big, cool thing. Like even some of the things we used to do in Skinner's. Yes. The big interactions were like, Oh, they're really cool. That was really cool. But the scale of those things that has pushed me a lot as well. That's been one of my big takeaways Hmm. from all of this. What else have you been thinking through as we kind of look at all of these things? Yeah. The, the more I've thought about it, I think one that you and I would both completely agree on is timers and experiences. Yes. So it depends on where you're going with this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So my opinion, I think timers should only exist fully in escape rooms. Okay, I've, I'm I'm with that. I think timers are for escape rooms. Yes. I, however, I think depending on the game you create, timers can make sense. I think there's a few games we played where the timer made sense in the game in terms of how it's played for an at home. However, the issue usually ends up being that you're not stuck. You're at home. No one's tying you down to that time period. You could fail it, but I could easily just play it again. You know, yep. or just stop the timer if I wanted or whatever, depending on how the system functions. I feel like there's so many games we've played where the timer really doesn't add anything to the experience other than just saying there's a timer to say there's some leaderboard or something. Uh, I think that's great. My, my thing is when I'm thinking through the three different ones, I think my only caveat for that is avatar games. Yes. Because you have a live person there and they can't, they can't do it forever. It's, it's somebody's, you know, whether it's the owner or the employee, whoever it is like, there needs to be a timer there to honor like eight hours later. Yeah. Here's another hint, you know? So I think I'd like to go home my family. I like to go see my family, but I, I agree. I think specifically when we're talking tabletop is like maybe get, I, I like the games that say like you're at this level if you do it in this time. So you have the option. Sure. But more often than not, like I so didn't mind when we were playing Emerald flame, the fact that I, I was just caught up in the puzzles and the story and, and that's what I want. Yeah. Right? No, I think you're dead on with that. I want to see what you think about this one. Okay. I'm talking characters. Okay. In-game characters. Purely digital games have the biggest opportunity to capitalize on that. On characters. On characters. I, I think characters should be in um, all games. And I think it gets a little murky when you're talking about mixed digital tabletop games. Sure. But I think if you're not centering your game around characters in digital games you're missing it. 
because whether you're talking about video games or web-based games, I think you have the opportunity to show that character really well. Yes. Some escape rooms do that. Some don't. I, I feel like there's more of that, but I think it's the hardest in a purely tabletop game for me to invest in a character. I might be able to see them. There may be a version, tabletop version of that character, but I feel like the digital world, more so than any of the other two, leans itself to character development. Agree or disagree with that? I agree. I think in escape rooms, your issue is that the timer will wind you. I think you can have really cool characters in escape rooms, and I think they should be involved. However, they are tied to the timer yes. in, the, in the experience itself, depending on the game you play. They're probably, and I know that have to be, escape rooms where characters are used obviously more than once. So you get to see them more often. Or they have different interactions based on the game you play. However, I think the hard part with at home, like with specifically digital ones, is that your content is fully digital and there's not a ton of interactability unless the website lets you do it. So you're basically fully on puzzles and narrative and characters. And one of the things you can do best to help with both of those things is just give you a really good character that you feel connected to. Like you can see them or hear them. Yeah. You can understand what their objective is, what they're wanting out of the experience slash you, what you're trying to help them achieve. And some of our digital, even some of our mixed experiences where they've had characters have been some of our favorites. Cause like an example of one would be like space corp, I think does a really good job of having a fully digital game with some, with some elements in for a person, if I remember correctly, because there's some paper stuff. Yes. But most of it is carried, in my opinion, by the digital aspect with the characters that play on the in Absolutely. the game. But that's what I'm saying. Without that, like if Space Core had made the if Trapology had made the decision just to make that a box, yeah. That character wouldn't have shined the way that it did. Oh, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like tabletop ha has the hardest sell mm -hmm. if it's purely non-digital to make a character come to life because inevitably what I see you doing there is reading. Yes. And I, you could argue that, you know what I'm thinking of specifically from, yes. you can argue that some characters, but then you have to be willing to do the reading in order for that to come to life. And that's not everybody's cup of tea either. Agreed. It depends on the game too. There are some games where reading is a majority of the game and that can feel like a lot. And then there's some games where I feel like there's the perfect amount of reading where you get enough information that you can, understand the character and gain a lot of like emotional sympathy or empathy for them. Like yes. in terms of what's happening throughout the event or like you just get it. Like it makes more sense. And then I've played some games where there's not enough where I feel like I started to like the character a little bit, but then it stops. Like there's not much more I can gain from the experience. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like that's, that's it. Cool. Yeah. Some other things that I've learned is I think you have opportunities in each to do something that the other can't do well, but that line is blurring a little for me. Mm. Like I used to think that you could only do really effective, tangible things in an escape room. I've been proved wrong time and time again. Yeah. But what I have learned is you have to think about, and again, this kind of comes back to our timer point, the time it is going to take to do something. Agreed. I don't think that's a conversation being had enough is that ties into pacing that ties into a lot of things, but regardless of what type of medium you're making, you have got to test to see what time it's going to do. Yeah. I mean, that's very true in escape rooms as well. I know I'm thinking of a very specific example with murder show escape rooms where one of our, our seasonal room yes. has a puzzle in it that is meant to take some time. Yes. However, 
it takes too much. It, some, a, a, originally, when we yes. built the room, it took too much time, and the other puzzles were difficult enough, slash some of them were so fast comparatively that you were stuck on this one puzzle for for a lot of people early on, a majority of the game. And then it feels not fun when you're like, I say not fun. I mean, it is not fun when you're like in a, an escape room and you're like, I'm stuck on this puzzle for like 27 minutes or however long it ends up being because you under, potentially understand the puzzle or if you don't understand, it gets even more frustrating, but you have to do it. Like it's required for the game to finish unless your game master tells the answer, which they shouldn't do. So yes. you're kind of just stuck on this thing of, oh, I have to finish this puzzle. It's literally going to take me another like 10 minutes to complete this. That doesn't feel fun for groups at times. Let me ask you this. Okay. How do you feel about player size, like group size, comparatively through what we've been venturing all? Because I think that's another unique intersection is my opinion has changed in one, but mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily in others. Yeah. And I think this will be an interesting point of conversation. Yeah, I think player size matters a lot. I think in escape rooms, I feel it the most, depending on the game. I think most escape rooms I've played, they give you a very wide range of numbers. So let's give an example of a game. Two to eight players is, I'm going to say, a pretty common size for rooms. Anywhere in that range, right? Yes. I've played games where it says, and I quote, we can do eights in here. And then we play the experience and there's only actively one thing you can do at a time and maybe two people can fit around it. Yep. And you go, cool. I played an experience with six of my friends and four of us are sitting on this bench because we can't interact with the puzzle without us all literally breathing down our own throats. Yes. In our necks, sorry. Yeah. It's frustrating because if you're going to do, uh, I feel like for escape rooms specifically and with anything, you need to have enough content that everyone can interact with or be a part of for there to be that many people. So if you play an escape room and it goes, oh, it's four to 12 players, you need to be able to have 12 active people do stuff at times or else it's not what it's made for. Because I feel like as an example, and it depends on the game's format too, like high noon at Mercer escape rooms, non-linear competitive game. You can play with 12 people. There are literally 10 puzzles they can interact with at any time in the experience until the end when they get to the final puzzle. Yes. It's perfect in terms of the amount of content that the people who fit in there, they all could do something. They can all do something. Yeah. Absolutely. While like we've played games where it's a linear based game, but it's a small room that says they could, because the room can technically fit eight people, there's not things for eight people to do. And then yes. it's frustrating for the people who can't be involved with everything. And then we've played some digital games where I think digital can have more people. However, you're kind of still stuck to one answering unless the game has an element where you can play cooperatively, where there's yes. multiple like inputs that you can put in. Yes. Then it feels good. You can have more people you can zoom in, play with your friends next to your laptop, whatever, you know, and then we've played some tabletop games where it goes like, I think most tabletop games do not go crazy with their numbers. I think they do it in my opinion, usually perfect. I think the most I've ever seen for a tabletop game that I can actively remember is like four people. And I think that's literally the most I would ever want to play a tabletop game with, unless it perfectly is meant to say like, here's 80 things you could do at once. You can play. Sure. play. I think we played like a, I think we played an escape game in a escape room in a box game once like for a, we had a party or we had a game night at Jared's Yeah, house. it was, uh, it was the werewolf. werewolf. And I think we played that with like more than four. Yeah. And, and I was, think that one ended up being fine for having, more but it wasn't four. ideal. Correct. It's not ideal, but like it still worked. And that's like an example one I have could work, 
But then there's some games we played where I'm like, I would never want to play this more than just me and Jared, like for a yes. tabletop game. No. And then we played some where we, you know, like we played with your kids and we had the game where it was four of us. And I was like, okay, obviously it's made for kids. So in that example, like it's easier for us. But I was like, the kids made it work in terms of like, you can clearly tell they enjoy it and the game's made for them and us I to agree. help the experience. My take on this is I'm still very cynical about escape room sizes. Yes. I'm with you. I have played when public bookings used to be more of a thing I've played, but that was when I was more of a novice player. Yes. I ideally like to play escape rooms with two to four people. Yep. Now I think that changes if the people are good players. Sure. Because good players know how to share. They know how to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. They do all those things. And I try to do that when I'm in a public booking and I know that I'm playing with newer players. I want to bring them along with what I'm doing because I think there's an escape room etiquette there. Yes. But I'm still very cynical. I've become less cynical about the tabletop world. Yeah. And the number of players. There have games that you and I have played where I wish we would have played with more. Yes. Because of the way that the game was made. I'm thinking specifically about some of the adventure games. Yeah. No, that makes sense because those are made for having up to four. And, and I believe it. More characters makes it more interesting. Yes, I, I totally agree. I enjoyed playing some of the newer Wild Optimist games. Yes. Their murder style games or their crime crimes and capers games. Yeah. We played those with five. Yes. Well, yeah. we played four and five. Yeah. Yeah. We did a four and a five. I thought that was really enjoyable, interactive piece of that. Yeah. I'm not on board with it yet in digital puzzle world. Sure. There are great multiplayer non-puzzle games playing Fortnite lately. I've been doing all these things. Yeah. That League of Legends been playing. There are more competitive style games that I think it's fun, but in the puzzle world, I'm not, I'm still at two. Yeah. Most games are made where it's like they add a co-op. Yes. You know, like playing the We Were Here's and stuff like those obviously are made for two people and it fits really good to have two players in those style of games. But most online games that we've played that are digital, if they're not perfectly made for two, I'd only want to play by myself in terms of absolutely. a puzzle game. And we've done some with more in that. Ha- Again, it was with experienced players yes. when we were played digital games. And I'm good with that because everybody knows how to handle themselves. Correct. But yes, that's, that's where I'm at in player size cynicism towards escape room sizes. Yes. I'm more and more believe in our tabletop creators and the digital world, the digital world doesn't really prescribe it too much. Yeah. But I'm still in the shallow end of how many people I'd like to play with on that. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what our listeners think about this. Uh, yeah, agreed. So I want to wrap up this section saying, if you're one of our listeners out there, we're going to post this in our Discord. What do you think about player sizes? Because I we weren't planning on talking about that, kind of went down a rabbit hole of that. But I'm curious to see what everybody says. But that's really going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. We have questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey, everyone. Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. 
Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Welcome back to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. We are now here in the third section of the show that is questions for creators, brought to you by the Deadbolt Mystery Society Studio. If you haven't played a Deadbolt game yet, you totally should. Now, in this section of the show, we get to talk to the amazing people who helped created the game. So on this week's episode, we have two amazing creators coming back on the show to talk about their products from Society of Curiosities. You probably already know these two. So tell us your names and what you guys have been up to for the last year since we saw you guys last. Uh, I'm Asim. And I'm Michelle. And we are um, creators with Society of Curiosities. Yeah, we um, are working on the Fairy Tale Files games. We did a Kickstarter for a set of four games, and those uh, went out uh, a couple of months ago. And what else have we been up to? We also uh, began working on our Winchester House Mystery Series. We've got our first digital game called The Glass House Ghost. And then in the back end, we've been designing more games for our second season of Society of Curiosities. Except this time, we're not releasing anything until we're basically done. So we don't have the time pressure. So we can really focus on quality first before. I mean, we've always done quality, but quality with time pressure is hard. So this time, we were giving ourselves a little break uh, to finish designing the second season before releasing it. And then the thing that's been taking up all of our time recently is beginning work on opening up an B&B in Quebec. So an overnight experience for people to play. We've played most of the games from Society of Curiosities. We've loved all of them. So one of the questions I actually had for you guys was, what was your inspiration for doing the Cinderella murders and the fairy tale files, considering these are more like murder mystery detective style games? I don't remember. How did we get started on that? So what was what we were thinking is, you know, the Society of Curiosities is very rooted in real world, real history. So we wanted to kind of break free of that and do something completely different, just something where we didn't have to do hours and hours of research on what's real and what's possible. We wanted to just make up our own world. So we decided to do kind of like a merging of the tabletop escape with a murder mystery because, you know, murder mysteries are trending gory murders. That's not really our thing. So we wanted to do something a little more playful. So we decided to place it in the fairy tale world so we can just have fun and give players something that they can just kind of relax and laugh along with us with and also to create kind of an entry level product that's a little shorter and a little easier than our larger Society of Curiosities games. Yeah, a lot of uh, families have been emailing us saying that it was enjoyable to play as a family with kids or teens. One of the components we love the most about Society of Curiosity games is the digital aspect. And we've noticed that in your newer games, the tech that you guys use for the online digital elements or for even the in-person stuff has just has grown exponentially. So we kind of wanted to talk to you about what was like for the upgrade process of the tech for the online games, specifically for like Glasshouse Ghost, as well as maybe some challenges that you ran into while doing this technology input. 
So um, I think a few things that uh, were designed on purpose or accidentally for the Glasshouse goes were about the interface. So instead of being just a chat window that looks like uh, a cell phone or a uh, Facebook Messenger chat, we decided to make it feel more like you're peeking into the, the world of the team on the ground. So you see the person's desk, the guy who's helping you from the location of the Winchester Mystery House and you see his uh, his desk and whatever he has on it. And there's also like a little picture of his phone that updates as you get your messages, you see the messages pop up on his screen. So you feel like you're with the character or you're a little more on the ground. So that was on purpose and I think it worked pretty well without confusing people about what's going on. You still have like the regular chat window on the right, but you feel into the world. And the other thing was the ghost radio, which is a essentially a three digit lock that you can use multiple times and, it, and you get um, feedback from the ghost. For us, it was a way to make puzzles that have clear answers and people know what to do. But people really liked the feeling of the ghost radio coming alive. So that was a happy accident. We really just thought about it as a three-digit lock mechanism, and it turned into the most popular thing about the game. Yeah, we were we were playing a lot with how to make a game come alive because with, with tabletop games, a lot depends on who you're playing with and how you how you tackle things. There's always like a reading component. And so we were playing a lot with how do we keep people engaged? If there's more than even two people, the reading can be very challenging because you're sharing or one person reads aloud. As so we added in, we hired a voice actor and we've done that also with fairy tale files as well to have more voice components coming in at different parts of the game. But in this game with the Glasshouse Ghost, we wanted to have it a lot more prevalent. So we were choosing, picking and choosing about what times does someone come on and talk? And then what parts are just a text message to move you on throughout the game? So we hope that livens things up and gives it a very distinctive feel that you might not get if you just have a player read things out loud. For this question, for creators we've had on the show before, we kind of get to add a spicy new question. And so we kind of want to pit Jared and myself against each other. So we're going to ask you the following question. With your new murder mystery detective style game that you've created with the Cinderella murders, who do you think would be the better detective, Jared or me? And you can do this off any information you have on either of us. That's challenging. Doesn't Jared have a bunch of kids? No, he's going to be more tired all the time and he has a business to run. I'm going to take the fresh brain every day of the week. That would be you. You know, I was thinking the opposite in that he has a lot of kids. Therefore, he knows how to like handle people, uh, you know, play the good cop, bad cop thing on the kids. Um, I was going to go with him. But then I was thinking about <laughs> the earlier podcast with Jared and Zach. And Zach's just like the listener. He's he earlier on. He was like you were like the uh-huh person. And there's something quite deadly about that silent person who just sits back and takes things in. So I am also going with a Zach as the winner. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. We've heard about some amazing things that you guys have been working on over the last year. But as much as you want to tell us, or as little, what's in for the future of Society of Curiosities? Well, one of the things we 
wanted to do when we started Society of Curiosities is we wanted to share our craft and our love of games with more people. So we had a physical escape room in Hawaii, but there's a very limited amount of people that can come play our games. So we had uh, we started working on something that people can play at home and that we can ship. And we are taking it one step further now and taking the whole uh, story of the Society of Curiosities and uh, setting up a brick and mortar headquarter. Two locations so far in Canada. And we're really excited to take all the lore and the stories and the exploration and the mystery of the society into a physical space and give a place for people to immerse themselves and explore. Yeah. So we found a, a building that's over a hundred years old. So we just felt it's like a Victorian building and we felt it would be perfect to house at least one of the locations of the Society of Curiosities. So when people go, they have a few options. They can go and play traditional escape room style games, or they can go and experience the escape room overnight experience where they can have up to four rooms with eight players and experience play at their own pace and their own timing to delve deeper into the secrets of the Society of Curiosities. And in addition to that, we have a coffee shop and for places to drink and a bar and small bites to eat. So that way when players finish the, either the escape room or go for the overnight experience, they have a place to congregate. Cause you know, when we play escape rooms, we do that traditional stand outside the building and figure out what we're going to do next, or just stand outside the building and talk. And so we really we're excited when we found this property to give people a place to sit and talk and decompress after the game. So we've been talking a lot about that and um, what's the experience like for players from the moment they step foot in the door to when they leave. How do we tie that all in with society? And one more thing is we're, we're um, working with some other game creators to have puzzles for people, regardless if they're playing our escape room or not. So there will be puzzles even in the dining room, at the bar, things that you can look around and solve or go to a shelf that will have a bunch of different puzzles from different creators where you can kind of sample their style to see to see whose work interests you and what you might want to delve further into. Uh, so that's that's the escape room physical project we're working on. And then we are working on another Winchester Mystery House Mysteries. We're working on the story for that one. And then we, as we mentioned earlier, we're working on season two for Society of Curiosities. And then we also have a few other games that we've actually finished uh, as like a secret Santa project. Uh, mm. And they're done. It's just we need to work on them and what we can actually create because the secret Santa is a one-off that we do. But there's some fun concepts, like we have one that's a cat game that is a cat detective story that you actually have to play with your cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that one is all done. That one is just kind of sitting, waiting for us because we have a little bit of like massaging of how that actually gets made on a bigger scale. <laughs> it is delightful. And um, of course... We we made four copies, right? For one for Michelle's Secret Santa and uh, three for our friends, and we had to build a mechanism in case the cat doesn't want to collaborate. And sure enough, we had one group of friends that told us the cat didn't want to know anything about the game. And the next day, the cat was all into the game. It was like, "What's this? What's this? What's this box? 
so for us it's fun just to play like it's really fun to get back into physical escape rooms and the cool thing is the stay away experience is very much the melding of what we've been doing in these two kind of separate spaces so from the physical we take the prop building the the wow moments the the lighting design but from the tabletop escape what we've been doing is we take the fact that when people are playing our home, our stay away experience, they will not have a game master. They will not have video cameras in their bedroom monitoring them. So we, oh, we officially yeah. canceled that idea of the cameras yeah, in the no, bedroom. No cameras in the bedrooms. <laughs> but like because of that, we have the tabletop aspect of how do we help people get unstuck if they're stuck without us watching. So we get to take all this knowledge from two different endeavors and put it all together. And it's incredibly intimidating, but also incredibly exciting. And a question we ask everyone, what are some other games you guys have been playing? If that's board games, video games, at-home tabletop games, whatever it is, escape rooms, just uh, shout out some things you've been playing or wanting to play recently. So unfortunately, Yusin and I have been back and forth between Hawaii and Canada building our stuff. And so we've been apart a lot. So I've actually had a chance to play more tabletop games than him. So a friend and I played played the Vandermist dossier and were just blown away by the print components of what they did in the game. It was a beautiful game. And then Yusin and I have been playing a lot of escape rooms together in Quebec. Yes. Um... <laughs> It was interesting to see the scale of things in Quebec. We played a very small game and a very expansive, large game. And the props and decor is generally really strong, which is a challenging for us to, we want to make sure that we match what people expect and the industry is always improving. And we also did a little uh, trip to LA to play uh, what we had heard the most about in the immersive world. So we did the sampling of immersive theater shows and uh, guided experiences. So we played Lab Rat, which was an interesting escape room, how they played with scale and their use of video for the game. We also played a newer one in Pasadena, the Ministry of Peculiarities. I really enjoyed that one. They did a great job of gathering players at key moments of the game and recapping what you're solving. But in the story, uh, I really enjoyed like feeling the progress in the game and understanding the story um, mm -hmm. in a way that we had never seen in an escape room. Oh, and I want to jump played. in and say that their onboarding, um, their onboarding for the experience is just spot on. Um, it might be my favorite. It's hard because I love Escape My Room in New Orleans for their onboarding experience, but... This one had an actor in the room and just you're welcome immediately and pulled into the world in a very high energy, humorous style. And it was the rules. and the ending as well. Like they took you out of the game into back into the lobby with the same actor. And it was delightful. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely yeah. delightful. Sorry, X, you have a couple more experiences we played in L.A.? Yeah, we played The Nest, which was more of an immersive experience. There were two puzzle-ish things, but it's really just, uh, it's really not integral to the experience. And it was great how they used lighting. The space was very vast, but it was like, like a maze, but not to get lost, but just like little hallways and two different vignettes 
And the lighting was really great. And use of audio and lighting to tell a story was very touching and engrossing. And the last one, oh, was a show. It's called Cages. Very interesting use of projector technology. It had two screens, one in the back, one in front of the actors that were was transparent or opaque, depending on the lighting and then the actors. And they did very interesting things with the projections. Interesting stuff for us to think about when we build our next escape rooms. Yeah. And all of all of it for like most creators, we're just taking all these experiences and stashing away what we love and what we hate, because even what you hate becomes can become something that you want to build off of or make better. So a lot of a lot of food for thought for both the tabletop and physical games, but there's been a lot of great games out there. And then upcoming um couple couple games we're looking forward to is we haven't touched a light in the mist or the emerald flame yet and they're just waiting for us but they're a little longer and we haven't had a time to just focus on it and another one that i'm looking forward to is rough bluff from trapped escape because i just love that they are playful so many so many games take themselves seriously and that's wonderful but there aren't as many games that just are silly and i'm looking forward to see what they're doing with it if anyone wants to stay on top of what's happening with the escape room B&B, please go to Society of Curiosities and uh, click Games and Escape Rooms, and you can sign up for news, and we'll be looking for state testers very soon. Michelle and Yassine, thank you so much for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate getting to talk to you guys again and are so excited for all the new projects that you guys are working on. If you guys are interested in any of the products that Society of Curiosities has created or are working on currently, you can go to societyofcuriosities.com. That is societyofcuriosities.com. On there, you'll be able to see future projects they're working on, like their overnight adventure their bed and breakfast, or if you want to see some of their current games as well as potentially season two of Society of Curiosities. If you'd like to support us here at Puzzling Company, there's a few different things you can do. First, you can go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash puzzling company. You can support us on there. You can join our other patrons and get content early, join our Discord and get to have conversations with us as well as get to play the digital online games. Some of the things you can do is go to wherever you listen to this podcast, if that's Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever and leave us a five-star review, we would super appreciate it. And the last thing you can do is just go to wherever you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook and follow us on there. That way you get live updates of when we post episodes as well as see new content on there coming in the future. And that's going to wrap up this episode of Puzzling Company. Thank you so much for joining in. Next week's episode is going to be on Circus Grounds. It's a new Kickstarter game that we're getting to cover. We're super excited to get to play it and talk to you guys about it next week. But for Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. Shift Cassette Studios. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.